Hey, what's up? It's Health Coach Lou, and thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. This episode has been sponsored by TheWonderSpray.com. See, The Wonder Spray is an incredible product for disinfection, deodorizing, first aid, wound healing, skin care, and allergy symptom relief. Go pick up a bottle at www.TheWonderSpray.com. Use the promo code CLFS and get free shipping off your first delivery. Again, that is www.TheWonderSpray.com, promo code CLFS, and get free shipping. All right, y'all. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. All right. Thank you, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Project Podcast. I got a special guest in the building, not new to me, but new to you. This is like, like I said before, it's like a health ways re- reunion, man. I got <laughs> Micah, is it Massey, right? Yep. In the building. Hey, man. Great to see you. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. It's been, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, <laughs> can't believe it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely been like seven seven years or yes. so <laughs> yes yes it has it really it has so you know um, i know you're not in the health realm anymore data analysts at, at amazon right but you have a very you know your experience in the health and wellness is is crazy so before we, we begin just to let the people know can kind of tell us a little bit about your background um and you know just kind of fill us in how, how things are going Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, it's always nice to be able to catch up with former, uh, colleagues, but, um, you know, I, I have a background in health and fitness. Um, I graduated in 2006, um, with a bachelor's in health science, um, went right into a hospital setting, being a diet tech for about three and a half years, moved on to, um, being a health educator for WebMD online um, and then moved over to Healthways, where me and Corey met, um, and really drove into more of a weight management program side, and partnering with Johns Hopkins, um, having that opportunity to provide um, not just weight loss, but weight management and creating lifestyle changes, which is always which is always nice to help people. Um, and then I moved away from corporate wellness and got more into commercial weight loss, like, and then moved into more of a, like a physician, um, facilitated, uh, weight, weight management program, um, in a clinical setting for about a year. Um, so I've had like a mix bag of things that I've done in the health industry over a course of 11 years. And then the best thing and worst thing that ever happened was I was laid off in 2017. Um, but realizing after a couple of years, like uh, being more in the commercial or clinical setting, I just wasn't very happy. I wasn't very motivated um, for one reason or another. And so I was laid off, but it gave me an opportunity to flex on the things that I enjoy doing, which is helping people. So I was able to move into rover.com as a um, operations manager for customer support and then into escalations. 
and then found my real passion around like data um, and analyzing information um, and making program programmatic uh, changes. Um, so that's where I moved into Amazon, was able to um, hit a role with like program management. So it's been quite the journey um, to get to where I'm at now. Um, also, I love competing in bodybuilding and powerlifting. I've done 12 competitions for bodybuilding um, since 2012 and three powerlifting meets. Um, so <laughs> cool, quick story. I remember when when you would be competing and when we yep. were at Healthways <laughs> and you can tell that you are getting close to a competition <laughs> because you just be sitting there just be like. Man, I don't like on your face. Like I ain't trying to be here. Like you were just so tired. <laughs> that's, that's, that's facts. That is facts. Man, um, <laughs> is it true? Truth. Is it true that you would on your breaks you would do the stairs with a weighted vest when, during your? You company? betcha. My you betcha. gosh, yeah. dedication right there, man. Uh yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe some insanity mixed in there. <laughs> Um, right. No, I did some. I, I've done some some unique, crazy things to get ready for competitions. I think every season you learn more, right? And you right. try to implement something different to become more sustainable, um, so that you can actually do this for a lifetime. Versus, I'm just going to do this for a couple years and then be done with it. So. Right, right. And that and that's a great kind of segue into the topic at hand, right? Diet culture. And I, I know the culture of dieting and bodybuilding. Great. I've never, I've never done bodybuilding before, but you can kind of see this, this you bulk up and you, you, then you, you cut weight. And then for competitions, you know, it gets extreme because you're getting to extreme, you know, body fat percentages. Um, and, you know, when I, when I was doing, cause when I was at Healthways, I was really into to strong man, right? Yep. So I was doing strong man, and um, even as a prof health professional, you know, coaches need coaches. So, like, I didn't understand, you know, strongman. And when I got into it, I didn't know what to do. And a strongman competitor goes, tells me, I ask him, I go, hey, how do you, how do you prepare for a strongman competition? Like, mm -hmm. you know, what are, you know, what, how should I train? And he goes, eat everything and lift heavy stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, bet. I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> Say no more. And <laughs> so I would, we had this barbecue joint in the, in the uh, office where I worked and I, I was eating everything. I ballooned to 288 pounds at my heaviest. Now, mind you, I was, I was strong. Like I, I was, I was strong. Like yeah. I was, but in, in hindsight, like it was, it was a very, very poor way of going because once I stopped, once I stopped, strongman com competing or training like a strong man because as you know as far as gym culture you go to the gym with, with a hoodie on hoodie up and you're lit you're throwing around heavy heavy metal man you get a lot of respect in there like hey hey this guy so you kind of get used to that but mm -hmm. my diet was awful and then as a health coach people the first thing they look they look at you like how you're a health coach and i'm like <laughs> but then I, I realized like, oh man, like I need to get healthier. Like I was, I was not very healthy. I was strong, but strong does not equate to healthy. Right. Yeah. So that's where the struggles went. Like, okay, I know how to do this. I know how to do, but like, 
where when I talk about diet culture is you think, oh man, I need to get rid of this fast and knowing that it's not sustainable. So you start doing crazy things. Um, when you first started getting into, you know, bodybuilding and even when you're doing some of your powerlifting competitions, did you see yourself knowing that you, you have the knowledge of how to lose weight, but did you see yourself doing some crazy things because you knew you had to lose a certain amount of weight at a certain amount of time? Most definitely. I've, uh, I've done a lot of dumb things. Uh, <laughs> knowing well that it probably wasn't the healthiest and that's in hindsight yeah that's that's a terrible thing um, to kind of think about but at the same time I think coaching people um, like you and I have and then actually going through the experience is totally different like you like we we all have different experiences and different knowledge bases and you know I, I think for me when I first started like you brought up, you know, running up, up and down stairs with a weight vest, totally crazy. But the reason I had to do that was because when I first started, I had no idea how to prepare for a competition. You know, I had no coach. Um, I knew the basics of nutrition, um, but for weight loss, but when it comes down to competing, it's a different beast, right? Because you're still trying to have good performance in the gym and while getting to an extremely low body fat and you don't take people to extreme low body fats when you're helping them with like weight management. Right. right? And so I just didn't know how to take it to that next step. And so I go through these phases where I'm like, Oh, you know what? I only need 12 weeks. I'll just like guesstimate. Like I need 12 weeks to prepare for a show that everybody's going to be as lean as possible. I only need 12 weeks um, to do this. And that's why I had to squeeze in so many extremes of I need to do cardio in the morning when I first get up fasted. I need to do cardio in the evening. Um, I need to go to bed like absolutely starving. Um, I need to um, do um, I need to go to the gym twice a day. Um, you know, I need to eat a certain way, like as clean or in quotes as possible. Right. And, and, um, it just becomes very unsustainable because you go through these extremes for one or two days of looking supposedly your best on a stage. And then what happens after is you feel terrible because you should be like the happiest on stage right? Because you've accomplished this great goal, but at the same time, you're just feeling like absolutely terrible because of all the things you had to do to get there. Um, all the extremes. So, and the, the thing about competing is, um, a lot of times people don't think about the post competing. So what happens after you get off the stage and typically people rebound like crazy. So you want to talk about people that maybe have some weight loss and then rebound. Think about that a hundred times worse for somebody that's been deprived and going to an extreme low body fat um, for X amount of weeks and then having those guardrails taken off of them. I would almost feel like if you don't go about it the right way, you could really harm yourself. Like I feel like you can like get sick or like something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like is that exactly. that happen? Exactly. Yeah. So the the 
when you get off stage and you're like, whoa, like I don't have to eat this way. Like I don't have to wake up at one o'clock in the morning to do cardio. Um, and if you don't know, or you don't have somebody by you that actually tells you like, this is how you should probably get off of your diet, um, and transition into real life again. Um, your hormones are at extremely terrible levels or low levels, like your thyroid, your testosterone, your, you know, everything that manages your internal health is kind of degraded um, over the course of that prep. And the thing about it is, is that I started, I would eat and just not have a trigger to stop. Like there would be no, no feeling full at all. And then you, you go through these phases of psychological feeling like, Oh, I don't like, you just feel terrible about yourself. Like, you're like, why am I cheap? Like, why am I eating all these things when I'm, no, I'm not hungry, but you just can't stop. And so you go through this, like really like this psychological uh, warfare with yourself after a prep. Um, and, and it, it gets worse, the more extreme you go. Right. So, um, and so the first couple of preps, that's what would happen is I would be like 140 some odd pounds by the time I'm done with a prep. And then I would spike all the way back up to like 165, 170 in a matter of a couple of weeks. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and the thing is people don't realize that just because you've gained the weight back doesn't mean that your hormone levels have caught up mm. yet. And one of the, one of the scariest things that I did was in my 2017 prep, I did three competitions. So I did a 36 week prep. Um, I was, a, I was, I was a hundred and, uh, 80, I want to say 82 pounds or so. Um, and I got down to 136 pounds. Um, and throughout the course of that prep, I did keep, I went from regular tracking my macronutrients, my carbs, fats, and proteins to 12 weeks out from my first show. I started doing keto and to continue the weight loss, um, and not, not feel like I'm always hungry with having such a low amount of carbs. If I just stayed on the macro tracking, mm -hmm. um, and doing twice a day cardio sessions, hit and just regular cardio, and then a training session at the gym five days a week. Um, and, and then, so I got down to 136. The two days prior to my third competition, I got a blood test because I wanted to see like hormonally, how am I doing after right. 30, 36 weeks of diet? I wish I would have got them pre-prep. Um, but during this prep, I had the most access to technology. So I had my, um, I had like access to a, a breathalyzer so I could see how my resting metabolic rate was. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I had access to that. I could do it whenever I wanted. Um, and it actually tells you if you're in keto or not, if you're using fat or carbs or glucose as a energy source. So while I was in keto, I was, I was on that machine all the time. Um, I tracked my ketones, I, uh, my blood ketones. Um, I tracked when I had carbs, 
I, I would track how fast it would take for me to get from a hundred uh, glucose down to like back into normal ranges. Like I was, I was uh, measuring a ton of things during this competition uh, prep. And then I got my blood work where I would test my, my thyroid, my testosterone, um, all the regular um, biometrics. But when I got those results back, um, it, it, it's, it scared the bejesus out of me. Really? Because ne never did I ever take blood work um, during a prep. And mind you, I've already competed. At this point, I, only com I already competed in like eight shows. So um, why wouldn't I have? And so, <laughs> um, but it opened up my eyes because basically all my numbers showed that I shouldn't really be alive. <laughs> um, because, really? Yeah, my testosterone levels were at pre-adolescent levels um my thyroid was basically in the red um my even like you're supposed to have like a certain amount of estrogen as a guy like there was like nothing like i i had like really low levels of everything everything yeah, I depleted everything. The only thing that was like promising uh, was because of all the cardio I did and I lost the extreme weight of uh, um, body fat was my HDLs. My HDLs were like insane. And I was eating a lot of fat on keto. So I was like almost like 100 HDLs. Oh, nice. Um, but that was the only oh. good thing <laughs> out of my lab report. And it scared the bejesus out of me because I'm like, is it really worth it to compete? Um. Like, right. am I really getting what I want out of this? Now, granted, like I, I look good and like keto, I actually felt really good on it, but internally it, it showed a different picture. Yeah, it was a totally different picture. Yeah. Right. So, so that transition, so you, you had that kind of revelation, like, oh, this is not, this is not great. Was it hard to transition into maybe looking at food differently after, after that? Yeah. So having access to a lot of data points in a prep is fantastic, but I love information and data, but I get consumed in it and it actually stresses me out mm -hmm. uh, as well at the same time. Um, so how I had to look at getting out of that, um, I had to reach out to like a couple people. I reached out to my coach first. I was like, look, my labs are terrible. Uh, there is no way that I can continue prepping. And he agreed of obviously like, he, he was like, right. yeah, you're, you're awful. we need to get you off of your diet. Um, also reached out to one of my, my good friends, Moji, and he's been competing in natural bodybuilding for like, I can't even, I can't even pinpoint when he started, but he's, you know, lifetime natural athlete. Um, he's actually competing in the Olympics. Um, wow. And yeah. And he is one of those people that doesn't track food. He doesn't have to, he kind of just like, he knows how his body works um, to such an extent that he, he doesn't, um, he, he doesn't limit um, the types of foods or like the variations of foods. Um, he knows what works for him. And that's like inspiring to me to be like, I need to go back to basics because prior to competing, I didn't have these like food, um, I don't say addictions, but more like I was so food focused right? Um, for so long that 
it took away from the experience of competing. It took away from living even outside of a prep. Like I'd always be concerned about food and growing up in Hawaii, you don't think about food, man. Like you just think about eating it. Right. right. Like, um, and that's the culture like there. And so for me, it, it kind of opened up my eyes of like, man, I'm super food focused and I need to start looking at food a little differently and just go back to basics of what I know works. Um, so I kind of transitioned out of my diet a little differently than what I've done in the past where I didn't, I just stopped tracking food altogether um, and just started eating like the foods that I grew up with, like Asian inspired dishes, like, you know, like the Asian types of vegetables, like bok choy and just like Napa uh, vegetables. Yeah. Just like just simple things because I enjoy those foods. It's just that I looked at food so differently. Like I only looked at food as that has 60 grams of carbs that has X amount of protein. That's going to give me a combination X amount of fat. I I never looked at, I, I just didn't look at food as food anymore you know, and, and I had to kind of revert back to, um, pre competition, um, thinking. Yeah. I feel like just even with people I see today, Micah, it's like, I have somebody in my office and they have this preconceived idea of what I'm going to tell them to eat. Right. The good foods and the bad foods. Right. And it's really just about in enjoying your food, but maybe just not as much. Like you can still enjoy your food. Like, like for example, I see what you post on Instagram. It looks great, but you know, it has you, I'm sure you're mindful of how much you're eating, what Uh you're doing. You have the exercise you're doing, you're doing all the other things to make sure you're, I feel like, I feel like food is, is so mental. Like you were saying that we can somewhat sometimes trick ourselves into thinking that we're doing something bad. And you know what I mean? Like, even when we're doing something good, like I, I have a, I have a client that almost canceled the session because they went, it was their spouse's birthday and they had a piece of cake, a piece of cake. Yeah. Not like yeah. a whole cake. They mm-hmm. had a piece of cake. And then now they think that they've ruined their diet and they've mm-hmm. done all these things. It's like, Okay. Okay. You had, you had a piece of cake. So it means we're just trying to, I'm, I'm trying to get people to realize that, Hey, it's, it's okay. But this, this culture of what healthy is or what healthy looks like is so ingrained in us. And even mm-hmm. when you Google, when you Google it, Oh my God. Googling is, is the gift and the curse of the world. Right. Right. Like when people Google things about being healthy or a healthy diet, it's confusing. So when, when someone says, Hey, enjoy yourself, but be mindful of what you're eating. Um, it's, um, they, they can't believe that you're saying like, what? Like, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The thing too, is that, you know, this as well is that people, when they look at, um, weight loss, they tend to always revert back to an extreme. Yeah. Right? Because that would gave that's what gave them the results and it's not necessarily maybe the best way um 
to, to look at it, but it's always seems to be, I need to get rid of carbs or I need to do X amount of cardio, or I need to get on keto, or I need to go on this low fat diet. Um, and one of the things I've had to like relearn personally is what's sustainable for the long haul. And, and I have to be open to like other approaches, like, I shouldn't be married to a particular approach. Right. Um, because as you know, like we're in COVID now. I went from commuting to Seattle from Puyallup. And for anybody that doesn't know the logistics of that, it's basically if I drive to Seattle at, at where I'm living, it would take maybe an hour and a half. Okay. Um, and But I take the train, which is great, go straight to Seattle, but I would be commuting four miles like to and from work walking or running. Like I would do that every day, five days a week. COVID came and I can't eat the same, right? I can't eat the same amount of food, no matter how right. healthy it is. I can't eat the same amount of food because my activity isn't as Your high. activity isn't there, yeah. Yeah, so even that functional activity had a purpose and so i've i've seriously had to relearn how to pivot because i'm so into structure like i i need structure and i think a lot of people are even though they may say yep. like i structure they do have structure um it just may seem chaotic but they have structure um and i think I think just having this COVID experience has kind of opened my eyes once again that, yeah, I can't be married to a particular approach. Um, I need to be able to pivot. So, right. Right. I think, especially now people need to give themselves a little bit more grace. Everything's kind of messed up right now. You know, so, um, when when you tell tell me about you know just with with the diet diet stuff obviously when people go on diets the goal is to lose weight and we kept, you know what I mean so when when you were transitioning into you know your way of eating how you're not you know you, what we've been, you've been talking about how did you see your your weight I'm sure your weight your your goal was to have your weight increase. Um, mm-hmm even though you knew in your mind you were doing something good for your body, how'd that feel when you would step on that scale and you were seeing that weight increase? Was that a yeah. struggle? I, I, yeah, definitely a struggle, but I <laughs> I don't recommend it to everybody, but um, just because in the past, like once again, I, I get so obsessed with numbers mm-hmm. that um, I actually had to put the scale away or my wife did, like God bless her soul, right? Like, <laughs> right. She's like, we got to put this away. This is like too much. It's time to go. You just got to stop tracking everything and anything. And to everybody that might not work because you need to have some accountability. But for me, I needed the scale to be away. Like I needed to get away from all tracking, any type of measurements. Um, One of the key things that I ended up doing, not necessarily like scale, Um, I did like do my waist and hip measurements, um, just to see what that looked like. Um, and I expected that to happen. Like I was open to it because I knew how extremely unhealthy I was like internally. Right. Knew I needed to get there, but I also knew I can't just blow up, um, uh, I was pre, um, pre prep. 
Um, and then the other indicator was four weeks past my prep. As I was eating healthier, kind of taking some measurements week over week, I got my biometric, like my my blood work again. And it was like, at least like in the right direction, right? Like my testosterone was actually in the normal ranges. Like things were starting to spring back up. Right. Um, and that to me was the best, the best indicator that I'm headed in the right direction. Um, I didn't need to have the scale tell me that I'm in the right direction. These biometric numbers, even though it's like a timestamp of that particular day at that particular moment of that blood work, but four weeks turnaround versus what it initially was um, uh, leading up to my last show of terrible numbers. Um, you know, that, that was, that was the true indicator, um, versus the scale. So, right. Right. I, I think, I think that's great. Not, not using the scale and using other things. And, and even when we were coaching at Healthways, and even now that's, I still ask, you know, clients or patients, you know, how are they, how are they tracking oops, other than, other than the scale or what, th what things are you noticing about your weight loss or, you know, oh my, my clothes fit differently. Or, you know, mm -hmm. honestly for me, when I, when I had stopped doing strongman and I was like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm done with this. Um, I wasn't able to wear my wedding ring. I was wearing, you know, one of those, <laughs> one of those silicone rings because they just wouldn't fit <laughs> over my fat sausage fingers. Right. And then, but like every week I would take it and try to put it on. Like when I, when I was going through that phase of losing some weight and like after I lose two pounds, try it three pounds, one pound. And usually I could able to take it off and on like, okay, I've lost some weight. And yeah. that's when I felt comfortable getting on the scale. I feel like you had to feel, you have to be at a point mentally to get on the scale. There's something about that scale where if you're not mentally ready, mm -hmm. if it's going to crush you like, right. Like it's just going to kill you. If you're not mentally prepared to see a number. Yeah. Like, like I, 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 uh, me and my wife, we track our weight every day for that accountability factor that you're talking about. And I can sure. look at it and be like, all right, okay. I'm, I've been maintaining or like, Oh, well, I know, I know what I did last week. I know that's, I know that's why my weight is up two pounds or three pounds, but sure. I have the week. It'll be back down by, you know, I, I like mentally mm -hmm. I am, I'm better with that. Mm -hmm. Do you, did you, do you feel like, uh, it took you a while to mentally get there to really stop looking at the, uh, the scale as data and then just looking at it as, okay, this is what my weight is. This is how I'm bettering myself. Yeah, it definitely took a while, man. Um, because yeah, it, I would say like, so last time I competed was 2019, um, and in the summer and then yeah, I still took away the scale for like the first couple of, of weeks and months. And then I started getting on it. I think I've gotten into a rhythm where I kind of just accept it and I'm like, okay, here's my weight. I know that I'm getting stronger in the gym. I know I'm eating X amount more food. Um, I I'm okay with this. Like, I think I've just had to come to, to more of a realization that, yeah, it's not necessarily, the determinant of my success. Um, I have other goals. So I think that helps. Right. Um, so that's been helpful. Right. So, so just to kind of put you on the, back into that healthways manager spot real quick. <laughs> so, so for those, uh, 
who are listening, who are health educators or health coaches, um, at some point they may, they may have a, a client that looks at their, looks at their diet or looks at the scale or has some mental block to their, to their weight loss, to their weight loss goals or how they're going about doing it. Um, if you were coaching, uh, a health coach or a health educator and helping them uh, improve their skills with, with that type of, with that type of client, what would, what is something that a new health coach can learn or what can they do to better assist that client that is struggling with um, maybe not taking a shortcut? Yeah. Um, to be completely fair, I think, one of the first things um, anybody should learn when they're talking about somebody in their past relationships with food is taking the time to understand that relationship with food um, or just weight loss in general. Um, I think we tend to um, agree a lot with like, oh yeah, I mean, that worked for you in the past. So possibly we can use some of those snippets and, and possibly like move forward with that. I think we jump to the conclusion really quickly on what success really looks like. Um, is it just the weight loss? Like, how did they feel? Like, how did they actually, what things could they do because of that weight loss? Like, I think just diving really deep into that person's history, um, not only is going to give you more of an idea of how to start with them, um, but it's going to build that relationship from the get-go. Like this person actually cares because they're taking the time to understand my full history, or at least like the last three, four years of how I've approached weight loss, how I think about myself and body, my, my body image, you know, what I really want to accomplish through that. Was I able to accomplish that when I lost weight the last time? Or was I so food focused that, yeah, it, it worked, but it was awful. Right. Um, I would I wouldn't want any part of adding in any part of awful into the next plan. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I think I think that's the biggest thing is that you know this that when you're limited on time to speak to somebody, um, you try to rush the process. And yes. I think because of that constraint. Um, that's why you have to be a little bit more pointed in how you have those conversations. Um, because once you have that rapport and once you have that big picture of like that history, man, it's going to save you so much more time because you know, wow, like you're kind of stepping back into that old unhappy feeling when you lost weight the last time. Now you can quickly identify with them and be able to start addressing the root cause versus, oh, maybe you just need another week to, you know, figure that out. Um, but it's right. more so because we've had these initial conversations and this foundation, I know that you've had this particular issue. It sounds like something that we can like really focus on and, you know, put that back into a, uh, back into the mix or the puzzle. Right. So I, I think that's a huge part of it is just getting that historical um, information from somebody. Yeah, man. It's funny you said that because, you know, even even now, when I, I remember even at Healthways, when I was you know meeting with people and 
I'd ask them about, you know, what, what kind of success they've had in the past. And they'd be talking about, you know, I've lost a lot of weight with uh, Weight Watchers and, they, and they'd be talking about it. And then at first they'd be, they were really excited. Like, yeah, I lost a lot of weight. I use Weight Watchers. And then as we start talking, they were like, I just buy, oh, I hated going to the, the meetings. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they, then you start hearing all the things they didn't like about it. Like it was never just like a, oh yeah, I love keto right. or yeah, I love Weight Watchers or yeah, it was like yeah, I loved it. I lost weight, but it felt like a job. Like I get that a lot. It felt like a job or oh, I gotta go to the gym in the morning. Oh, uh, like everything felt like a job during that process. It was like, well, do you? Okay, it worked. <laughs> do you really want to do this? <laughs> you really want to do this again? Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's huge is, is that's generally what people will say is I had some weight loss success. Here's the things I really hated about it. And I gained all the weight back plus some. Yep. And I continue to revert back to that process. It's funny how people will revert back to something they truly hate, but it's because they had that success of weight loss that they think that's the only way. Um, right. And so trying to break that pattern is, is super difficult. Um, and it just takes time. But I, I honestly think like having those initial conversations, um, if you don't have them, it's going to make both your lives um, very hard. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I agree. It's, I mean, you got to get down to the the the, the reason, and, and building that rapport, you know, is is so crucial. And, and one of, one of the most important things I think when when you're coaching somebody is building rapport because you can have all the experience or all the all the expertise. You can be the best motivational interviewing specialist professional mm-hmm. ever, but if that mm-hmm. patient or client does not trust you, it yep. means nothing. Correct. It means it, nothing. That's exactly true. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a, you have to not be afraid as a coach to go and dive deep um, and have those difficult conversations. If you can't have those difficult conversations, you're not going to help that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be able to have those difficult conversations, you need to have that rapport, right? Like you, you know, you've probably had like certain clients where you know, that you can maybe not necessarily call them out on things, but more so you can open up that door. And because you know that it's not going to impact that relationship or insult them in any type of way, that it's out of a caring voice, um, yep. that having that conversation while you bring it up, because as a coach, I want you to be able to make progress. And this is the thing that's holding you back right now. And, these are the steps that we can take to help move forward. And what are your thoughts on that? Like, I think as new coaches, it can be very hard. It's like you're, you're treading water or like (laughs) stepping on your tiptoes so that you're like not causing thrash, but at the same time, you're not helping them gain that, that footing. Yeah. I was, I was going to say nine years ago as, as a new wet behind the ears health coach, I may have thought that, you know, I should say something to a patient or a client, I would have never said it. You know what I mean? Because of that fear of making them feel bad or or getting into this 
this combative argument and it not coming off correctly because I didn't know how to maybe didn't know how to say it to them, you know, all those things. Um, but but now understanding, you know, what they really appreciate that. You know, if you have a good rapport with so and you know, if you have a really good rapport, you can say some some um things to your patients or your clients, and they'll be like, Yep, you're right. Thank you. You know, and then they'll they'll do it. And then maybe a week or two later, like, hey, I really appreciate you telling me that because you're right. It's like, you know, it it, it takes takes time and, and confidence in what you're doing to, to get there. But, you know, as, as a I agree, as a young health coach, I probably wouldn't have said anything, you know, just yeah. like just let, let, kept it moving. Yeah. And the thing is, like, do you want a coach that just cheerleads you all the time? Like, I, I believe some people, they, they like that. And at the same time, people want results, yep. you know, and cheerleading is not going to get them a result. It's what's what's really causing the, the challenge and how can we have that conversation? And I'll cheerlead you all the way through that change. But until we get to that, that root cause and figure out like what we can do and partner on that, um, Cheerleading will have to wait a little bit. Cheerleading will have to wait. Yeah. It doesn't mean I can't. It doesn't mean you can't like you know yeah. and keep encouraging them to, yeah, to keep yeah, do, yeah. doing what they're doing. But like if they're seeing you for eight weeks and they haven't made a change, you're like, yay! Like that sounds stupid. Like, <laughs> like there's nothing to yay about. They're gonna be wondering why they're paying you. Uh, <laughs> yeah you know it makes me feel pretty happy about it um you know i i think if you can have somebody not feel good on the call per se but if that can translate into their their time away from you that's the success right right is absolutely if they can think like oh you know what like that conversation kind of sucked like (laughs) But because of that, I'm thinking more about it. I'm, I'm able to react and respond a little bit more differently this upcoming week. And it, it's making me a little bit more happier to have that type of focus. Like, if you can have that type of impact, I think that you've reached, like, total success as a coach. Like, no matter the outcome, if somebody can walk away uh, feeling better um, or feeling a little bit more inspired or feeling a bit more resolved. Um, You've done your job like, and, and nobody can take away from that. So absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So before I get you out here, I'm going to be mindful of your time, Micah, but for that person listening, you know, who is struggling with everything we're talking about today, you're struggling with their diet. They've, they're struggling with, not seeing their food as a number or seeing foods as good or dirty, you know, if, if you were coaching them or just having a conversation, you know, what's, what is one or two things they can do to start to really change their mindset of looking at their food differently? Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, I would say one of the first things that they can start doing is, before even thinking about approaching it differently, I would write it down. Like what, what, where, uh, what things have I already done in the past? And then a time in your, a time in their life where they didn't feel so food focused, like where they weren't 
you know, they weren't dieting. Um, they weren't like, they weren't like trying to lose weight. Like they were just eating. And I want them to think about or write it down. Like what, how did you feel when you were doing that versus how you felt when you were doing those previous approaches? I think just having those um, kind of the brainstorming sessions and writing it down will solidify like, wow, like I've done quite a bit to my body. And there was a point where I didn't think about those things and I was pretty dang happy. Um, I was able to do all the things that I enjoyed, but for some reason, something took a turn and I, I did that. So I think that's number one is I think it's, we live in such a fast paced world that we don't take time to look at what we've done in the past. Right. So, so I think proactively you can do that before you even start, you know, the saying, like you can't move forward unless you know what you've done in the past is taking the time to write that out and writing it out is huge rather than thinking about it. Because once you write it down on paper or write it in your laptop, it's there. Right. Right. And it's there for you to always think about, always to reference, because once you start that journey again, you have something to reference. You're like, wow, like this is where I was. I was super happy. Didn't have to worry about food. Things were going wonderful. And then boom, this crap happened. And this is where I'm going moving forward. Um, the second thing is everybody needs help. Like, you said it before is that coaches need coaches. Um, and I think building up your support system and really identifying what that looks like for you personally, because everybody responds differently to support. Um, people like the cheerleader. Some people are just like, just tell it to me straight, man. Or, you know, they have certain levels of what support really means to them. And, um, so what does a support look like and who, in your current, um, your current, like people around you that you can lean on and introduce that, that next, like what you're planning on doing. Um, so having that support system, but really identifying what that support looks like, just so that, you know, going into it, that you're inviting these people into your goals and your dreams, but, um, they know how to approach that support. Yeah. I, it's funny you said that about support. I was reading, I actually shared it on LinkedIn. There was this research article um, that showed that people who had support lost, I forgot how much more weight, but a significant amount more weight than those who just followed um, an exercise or diet regimen. So those who, those people who follow in Oh, compared to any other diet. So compared to just doing keto or Weight Watchers, those who did any of those diets plus exercise plus uh, uh, behavioral support lost way much more, way more weight. Mm -hmm. And that that behavioral support is so important. It doesn't have to be a health coach, like you were saying. It can it could be anybody that's going to support you and, and challenge you and, and be there for you. Yep, exactly. My. Uh... My wife is not into competing. She just supports it. So I'm grateful. <laughs> um, but because I just don't know if I could do it without that type of level of support of knowing that it's going to suck a little bit the last few weeks, not, not like the whole 12 weeks or 
15 or how many weeks it's just the last couple of weeks so like having that support is critical if i didn't if there was any type of like man i can't wait till you're done competing or like right. like that that type of thing like i don't think i could continue on so yeah I, it, it's such a huge component of being successful so awesome yeah, I, I agree. Well, Micah, hey, thank you again. So thank you again for everything you've been able to talk about today and for your time. If anybody's listening that wants to connect with you or, you know, ask you any more questions, you know, where can they where can they find you? Oh, man, I actually don't have all my handles. Um <laughs> 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 don't worry about it you can just send them to me and i'll put them in the now yeah yeah you can just put like um uh, yeah i'll send you like my linkedin and my uh my instagram probably so <laughs> come prepared don't micah don't, Gosh. don't be afraid of don't be afraid of my my Instagram handle. <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with this? What's wrong with the Instagram handle? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. No, I think it's a TMNT underscore fitness. But like, yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't know. People have weird handles, man. So oh like, my god, yes, they do. <laughs> it's not just my name, so don't be afraid. <laughs> All right. Well, again, Micah, thank you so much, and everyone, thank you for watching and listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, man. Yep.